0: Uh, You'll notice that last song we sang dealt with the heart, and this text here, Jesus is dealing with problems that come from the heart. We'll be talking today about this question, is your heart right with God? I want to welcome you with us, those who may be joining us online, we're thankful for your presence with us. If you're listening to this lesson later on, we're thankful that you've tuned in. If we can be helpful to you, if we can serve you in some way, if we can help you, certainly if you're trying to draw nearer to the Lord, we want to help you do that. It's our desire to draw near to Him and to... Uh, be together as we do that. We want to help you if we can do that in any way. Grateful for those who are with us. We have visitors with us today. That's always an encouragement. And see our members that are with us as well. We've been traveling for a few days, so it's good to be home. It's good to be back together with everybody. We you know there are some of our members that are out sick. We'll be prayerful about that, that they'll be uh, back with us as soon as they can. And we trust in our good grace of our God that that'll be so. But I want to talk to you today about the heart. It is the new year. This is our first time together, really, uh, on a Sunday in the new year. It's a good time to be reflecting, thinking about where we are before the Lord, and where is our heart before God. This is a question I find myself asking often. It's a bit fitting that recently in Acts chapter 8, we've come across the the event that took place with Simon the magician or the sorcerer, as he saw the apostles laying their hands on the Samaritans and giving them gifts of the Holy Spirit, he requested to be able to do the same thing. Give me this power also. The response he got uh, from Peter and John was, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Here is a man who had embraced the faith. Here's a man who was baptized He began walking with Philip. Uh, who had taught him the gospel. He was learning. The apostles came up, however, and his heart became heavy, burdened down with sin. Peter told him he needed to pray and repent because there was wickedness in his heart, that his heart is not right with God. And I think that's a good thing for us to consider. Where is our heart in relation to the Lord? When we think about heart problems, when we think about people who struggle with blood pressure, or cholesterol, or have had heart attacks or strokes, things related to the, to the heart, we understand what a serious issue that is. And I want to suggest to you, I want to confirm with you, that our spiritual heart is a much more serious issue than our, than our physical heart. You ever heard anybody say, I shouldn't be alive? I discovered as I was doing some research for this lesson, there's actually a television program that's been on for six or seven seasons called I Shouldn't Be Alive deals with people who survived shark attacks or really bad auto accidents or have had cardiac events and have come through it. And so there's a whole series of of studies done on people who have had near-death experiences. But this phrase, I shouldn't be alive, maybe you've even said that after some particularly harrowing moment of something that you've gone through. And the truth is, that's where we all are spiritually. A near-death experience changes a person. Uh, There is a Dr. Bruce Grayson, who uh, is a professor emeritus there of psychiatry and uh, neurobehavioral sciences at University of Virginia, and he talks about people who've had these near-death experiences. He studied that quite extensively, and he says, I've got story after story of people who couldn't go back to the same profession, career police officers who couldn't shoot after a near-death experience, people who were in competitive businesses who no longer felt it was meaningful to get ahead at someone else's Expense. He says, many people will simply change careers after a near-death experience. The path they were on changes dramatically because they recognize the frailty of life and how close they are at any moment to not being where they are now. I think that's an important exercise for us, spiritually speaking, as well. I want to begin to look at some texts that bring that concept out. In case uh, you hadn't heard me say this already The theme for the newsletter this year is going to be, Is Your Heart Right With God? It's a question I'm going to be asking myself often throughout this year. It's one I've begun asking myself already. Because I wonder sometimes, is the problem with me that my heart is not right with God? When I find myself struggling with sin, when I find myself struggling to be the person I ought to be, I wonder if I'm not in the same situation that Simon was. I'm seeing things in a wrong way. And so in Genesis 2... We begin looking at the command that God gave to Adam from the very beginning. This concept that death is very near in this world of sin. Genesis 2 verse 15, God still has the man in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. What God is telling Adam and Eve there in the garden is that sin is fatal. Disobeying God's plan for us, He who made us, the Creator who made us perfectly suited for the life He wanted us to have, disobeying Him is fatal. It is a separation from Him, which is the worst death. And not only that, they didn't know it at the time, but it would lead to their physical death and all of these problems that we experience in this broken world. But God revealed the law of sin and death from creation. Along with the very first commandments, He gave them in the pristine beauty of the garden. He said, if you do not do these things, you will surely die. And of course, we know how the story goes. (laughs) Eve gave in to temptation. Adam gave in to temptation. And they died spiritually before the Lord. They're separated from Him. They hide from Him among uh, the trees of the garden, even though He's coming to have fellowship. And then they have to answer these tough questions. What are you doing? (laughs) And the curse is handed down on earth. This world has been broken because of the sin that they let in. And so we get to chapter 4. And Cain murders Abel. And God comes to speak to Cain in verses 10 and following. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. I think it's telling here. Cain knew that he deserved death, and yet he begged for grace, and he begged for life. And God, in his grace, says, no one is going to kill you, Cain. I'm going to make it so that you live out a long life with this burden of what you've done. Genesis 9, verse 6, very clearly states that if man sheds a man's blood, then by man his blood shall be shed. This is something that's early in the Bible. Adam and Cain did not die physically that day. (laughs) When they sinned, they were allowed, in God's grace, to remain alive for the hope of repentance. We find out that Adam lives 930-odd years. That Cain has given a long life where no one can take his life from him. In the hope, I believe, that they will repent. But what I want us to see in that is that they were effectively near death. They've died spiritually. They're separated from God. And Cain knows it's a hostile world that he's going out into as he's being expelled from the presence of God, really by his own choosing. That's not what God would have desired, but that's what Cain went after. But in this world, we all live a near-death experience because death is all around us because of sin. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, that was Old Testament. Let's see that things haven't changed by the time we get to the New Testament. From from the revelation at the outset, God began talking about this law of sin and death, that disobedience from Him leads to death. Romans 1 verse 32, as Paul is laying out the case against both Jew and Gentile, that we recognize that God exists and yet we act like He doesn't, that we know there is righteousness and justice that needs to be done and yet we choose not to do so. He says, after a long laundry list of terrible sins that this world is full of, he says that men, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Men know and admit that those who sin deserve death. Everyone, in some way or other, is a judge of somebody else and what they're doing. Social justice, those cries are going out all the time. Sometimes we judge other people. We do it almost instinctively, but we don't like it when they judge us. In fact, we'll we'll quote Bible, don't judge lest you be judged. That's not what that's saying, that you can't make any judgments. But we need to learn righteous judgment. And somewhere in our conscience, we all righteously understand, I am guilty of sin and I deserve death. God has made that a universal law and men are aware of it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have practiced sin, and so we all understand that death is waiting for us. But in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, as we may have called out together with Cain, this is unfair. I have no hope. There is hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We know we deserve death. With Adam and Cain, in God's grace, he also provided life for us. He's provided life for us in the hope of bringing us to repentance, and he's given us a lot better vision of what that looks like, and a lot better way to get there than what he had revealed simply to Adam and to Cain. And Yet, in his grace, he had given them some of the information they needed. But I think we can all stand with them and say, I shouldn't be alive. <laughs> I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that sin brings death, and yet, here I stand. Here is my opportunity. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should change, should come to repentance. That's what God desires. And so he's given us life and opportunity. And yet, since we are all near death, he teaches the importance of recognizing that even in the simplicity of the gospel. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We recognize that we are near-death survivors. And that ought to change us like it changes people who've gone through physical near-death experiences. They no longer want to live the way they were living that led them to that cliffhanger moment. We no longer live for sin because sin brings death. But we walk and live in a newness of life because that's what God has given us by His grace an opportunity to do. Getting back to Ephesians 2 and continuing on, we saw the indictment that was laid down that we all are dead in sins and trespasses. We had made decisions to walk after the course of this world. It continues in verse 4. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A near-death experience ought to change who we are and our outlook on life. And when we recognize how near death we are because of our sin, it ought to make us ponder, contemplate, and change. God in his life-giving grace has called us to walk in the works that he has prepared. Just as he was telling Adam there in the garden, just as he offered to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's offering to us the opportunity to walk in the works that he has prepared. We need to recognize, I should not be alive. We must recognize that because of sin, we should not be here. And yet God in his grace has given us physical life, opportunity still. And we must seek the repentance then that, leads us to walk in newness of life. That's what Peter and John told Simon. Ask God for forgiveness. Repent of this, your wickedness. Perhaps he will forgive you. Simon was still alive, and he had opportunity then to seek the face of God. So with that said, as we recognize how near to death we are, how near to death this world brings us, we ought to get real about the problem that is really our issue, heart disease. If we go to the doctor and we get a bad heart health checkup, doesn't that get our attention? (laughs) Last year when I was in Brazil, I ended up in the hospital because I had a high blood pressure event. Boy, that woke me up. Uh, I lost a lot of weight after that. I I watched how much sodium I was taking. I began to get more sleep regularly because I recognized if I didn't, my heart was going to have more serious issues than this momentary scare that I had when I was there. If you go to the doctor and he tells you, look, your cholesterol is off the charts. Your blood pressure is too high. You are going to change some things unless you just want to die. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for men, women, and children, and people of most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. It is the leading cause of death. Most of all of the major uh, drugs that are are, uh, taken in this country have to do with cholesterol, high blood pressure, or diabetes, all because of heart problems. That's where most of the money is spent on drugs in this country. That is the CDC official stats. You can look that up for yourselves. It's an amazing thing to think about. Again, we're talking about the physical heart here, but I don't think we have to go along to recognize how much we need to think about our spiritual heart even more. Why do we spend so much and invest so much in the physical heart and yet don't consider whether our spiritual heart is right with God? In Genesis chapter 6, As God was contemplating the creation he had made, this is long after the days of Cain now and the the world has grown and the descendants of Cain the descendants of Seth have all grown and gone off into cities and things got really bad. Genesis 6 verses 5 and 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved In his heart, God was grieved at how evil men had become. This is in ancient days. People like to say, oh, times are terrible. Times are worse now than they've ever been. I read Genesis 6, times have always been bad. I read Romans 1, that laundry list we didn't read all of before. Times have always been bad. It's no worse today. We just have public media making it so much easier to find out about stuff right away. But evil hearts are evil hearts. And men have had evil hearts since ancient days to the point that God was grieved. And I want to tell you, He still grieves. At the evil in men's hearts. Men devise evil. In Genesis 8 21, God said he would no longer destroy the world with the flood, even though from youth man's inclination of his heart is toward evil. And the text that was read in Mark chapter 7, as Jesus in the New Testament now is dealing with the Pharisees, religious people. He's explaining to them that the evil that is being done is coming from within themselves, from their own hearts as they're devising evil schemes and false doctrines and adulteries and murders and thefts and deceit. Religious people, me and you, our hearts, men devise evil and learn to do so from their youth in every generation. It is not something that's new and exclusive to us or just was in the Bible days. We are no evolved to be any better and we're not evolved to be any worse. We are humans with evil inclinations in our hearts. If you look at it, it's not that we're born in sin. Some people believe when they look at the state of man's heart, well, the babies are just born that way. We're not born sinful, but we're born into a world that is given over to sin. The Ephesians reading said it was the course of this world. Their natural inclination of this world is to go into sin and to be sons of disobedience. And we learn early how to begin to do that and to find ways to get away with it. And so our heart gets harder and harder And we devise more and more evil schemes to cover up the evil that we've already been doing. And We can see that in godly people in the Bible whose hearts are beginning to give themselves over to hardness, but who seek for a real diagnosis and begin to get real about heart disease so they can make the changes that are needed. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, God doesn't pull any punches. He's straightforward about the diagnosis. He wants us to know the situation so that we can respond. And he's talking to Israel here, but I think it's no different for us. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord responds, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God has declared the diagnosis. Our hearts are diseased. Don't fool yourself. think, you got the good one, (laughs) that you've had no problems, you've got no evil harbored up in your heart. God says men's hearts are evil. Psalm 139 and verse 23, David, before the time of Jeremiah, recognizing that only God can help, uh, said these encouraging words. Psalm 139 verse 23, as he analyzed his own situation, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He didn't trust himself to make his own diagnosis. He desired God's diagnosis. In Psalm 19 and verse 12, as he's exalting the power of God's word, he says that God can can change us, that God is the one who can see into our hearts, and he can help us to be guided out of every false way into every proper way. David was desirous of God's diagnosis, and he's an encouragement to us to desire the same thing. It's God's word that has the power to diagnose us. Hebrews chapter four and verse twelve—a verse I believe we know uh, quite well. But Hebrews four verse twelve speaks of the power that God's word has to see where we cannot, where we won't admit. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need to develop a love for the word of God, because it can do the surgery that's delicate and needed that gets into the heart of the matter, no pun intended. James chapter 1 tells us that we need to become doers then as we uh, look into that word. We'll see that verse in just a moment in a different context here. I want you to notice what happened with uh, Rehoboam, who ignored his sickness and its cure. And I forgot to put the, uh, uh, the verse up there. I think it's 2 Chronicles 14 verse 4. Uh, But but we're told there that Rehoboam did not set his heart to seek God or his word, and therefore, uh, it's not going to be 2 Chronicles 14, but he did not set his heart, and therefore he did evil. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, we see the opposite of that, where Ezra did set his heart to know the word of the Lord, to do the word of the Lord, and to teach the word of the Lord. That is where the cure is found, and Rehoboam uh, lost out. Uh, Ezra did not. 2 Chronicles 12, 14, I did put it up there. <laughs> Sorry. I was looking down, down beyond it. 2 Chronicles 12, 14. Uh, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord, is simply what it says. Sorry about that. Uh, so Rehoboam ignored the sickness and he ignored its cure. David, though, sought that proper medicine. We saw in Psalm uh, 139 that he wanted God to search his heart. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, we're told, that he hid the word of God in his heart that he may not sin. Once he recognized the diagnosis, he began to take the medicine to cure it, to to fix the problem of his heart. And then in James chapter 1, we see that that same uh, diagnosis is is on us and the same medicine is available. But there's more to than just knowing the word of God. James 1 verse 22, "...be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Think about the man who goes and gets the terrible diagnosis from the doctor. His heart is failing. He gets all of the right medicines and he takes them home and never takes them. (laughs) but I've got all the medicine. Look how much money I spent. Look at the bill from the doctor. I have the right diagnosis and the right medicine. You're not taking the medicine (laughs) and take it at the prescribed times and take it as you're supposed to. So many, so many people recognize their heart is is evil and sick. Recognize where the cure is. They say, well, I've got the Bible at home. I I keep it open in Psalm 23. It's there all the time. I go back and even reread it. Are you doing what it says? (laughs) That's where the cure is. The proper medicine is not just having it on the shelf, but it's taking it out of the cabinet and putting it to use. And as James says here, it's doing God's will that produces that healthier heart. That's what transforms us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's that laying of yourself on the altar that is transformative and renews your heart and mind to discern that good and perfect will of God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, this is exactly the lesson that uh, that Solomon was teaching. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last verses there in the conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. <clears throat> Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Notice what happens. The evil of men's hearts is not dormant. It begins to work. It begins to work in your life. And the undoing of that is not just knowing what the right thing to do is and continuing to do the wrong. It is putting that away. It is dying to that, which is where we're going to find the cure, and working what is right and what is good. It is the practice of God's will that is the health bringer, the one who has heart troubles and begins to to lose the weight and begins to take the right uh, medicines, then begins to exercise, to strengthen the heart. And we see that that's the need for us in spiritual terms as well. Our bad choices have led to heart disease. Well, that sounds familiar. (laughs) It's what you've chosen to put into your life that has led to your heart problems. Get rid of it. A proper diet, the exercise of God's Word, is the only hope we have to heal. I know this is a simple metaphor, but it's exactly the prescription that the Bible gives. And I believe in our physical world that God has set up with these metaphors on purpose. There are so many parables in our physical life that teach us something about the spiritual. And so I I hope you'll pardon the simplicity of this metaphor. We shouldn't be alive because we're near death with sin. We need to really consider deeply where our hearts are before the Lord. And I want you to consider finally this. How would you live if you realized your heart was beyond repair? There was nothing you could do and someone was a donor for you to have a new heart. My uncle was the last person to live with a Jarvik Seven heart. I don't know if you remember those mechanical hearts back in the 70s and 80s. He was the last recipient. They had discontinued it, and he got the last one. He did not live long with it. Unfortunately, that was part of the problem. Mechanical hearts just weren't working as they were meant to. But he was so thankful for the extra time it gave him to be able to say goodbye to his family. He knew it wasn't going to be long, but What if you received a heart that did work and that effectively gave you a quality of life that you never had before and extended your life? Catherine Herman was dying of heart failure at 20 years of age. She had already undergone 20 surgeries on her heart by the time she was 20 years old. And in college, she was about to die when she realized there was nothing else. And so she went into the hospital to wait for a heart donor. And she said in in the quote in in the magazine here that she knew... She was either going out on a gurney (laughs) toward the morgue or she was going to walk out of there with a new heart. Those were the only two options as she went into the hospital that day. And so she's telling her story years later when she got to meet the people whose daughter ended up donating the heart, uh, giving the heart after a terrible accident. But here's what she said. (laughs) I want to make sure to live a life full of energy and vibrancy ahead. And in order to do that, and the reason I want to do that, is to honor the person of the organ that I'm getting. What if I became the Olympic champion of sitting on the couch eating chips with this new heart that somebody's daughter had given? How is that going to honor what they've done, this sacrifice that they've made? She wanted to live in such a way that she went on to sacrifice. Not long after her surgery, she ran a 5k. First time she'd ever been able to do that in her life, and now she's developing strength in this heart, and she's engaging with this family that made this supreme sacrifice on her behalf. How would you live if you had received a new heart? When it comes to sin, the truth is only a new heart can overcome. David's famous Psalm in 51, after his affair with Bathsheba, after his sin there, you see what he asks for. The one who recognized that only God could diagnose the problem, only God could fix the problem, when he realized his heart was beyond repair, Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Notice he didn't say, cleanse my heart. (laughs) It's interesting, the language. He says, create in me a new heart. He needs a newly created clean heart in place of the one that he had before. David recognized that because he had already been doing the other work of diagnostic and recognizing where he really was and allowing God to point that out through his word. He recognized how horribly his heart needed renewal. In Ezekiel chapter 18, there's a couple of texts here that I think are just fascinating in, in their context. But Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 31. God tells Israel, "'Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit.'" For why should you die, O house of Israel? The very things that David had been asking for. Ezekiel said, that's what you need, all of you, Israel. But then when we get to chapter 36, after he tells them to do that, he gives them the diagnosis and says, here's the only hope you have. Get rid of that bad heart and get a new one. In chapter 36 and verse 26, here's what he tells them. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's God who's going to do that operation. He told them they needed a new heart, and then he promised to provide it for them. And certainly that promise is a promise that extended then to us. How was he going to do that? He's going to do it through the Messiah who was to come and who has come by now. But again, we see what we saw at the beginning. By God's grace, he gave them an extended life. He gave them more opportunity, but he gave them more than just a new heart. By grace, He has given them, He's given us, a new life. It's not just the organ that has changed, but it's what we've done with it now, the expression that ought to be completely changed. We mentioned this verse early in our class, Galatians chapter 2, in our thinking about the Lord's Supper, that is. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This is how Paul responded since he had a new heart. (laughs) I have been crucified with Christ. I was near death, I died. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to honor the one who gave his life for me, is what Paul's saying. In Romans chapter 6, as he describes the new life that comes, he talked about the diagnosis. We don't just get grace so we can continue sinning. Something has to change. We need to honor the one who gave us this life. We were baptized into Christ, into his death, verse 3. So we were buried with him, near death, into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We have a new life, not like the old one that we lived. I want to encourage you with Colossians chapter 3. It's a longer reading, but I think it's so important that we understand this concept of the new life in this light. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Again, this is Paul's understanding of one who died in his place and what it means now as he has a transplanted heart and life. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Amen. (laughs) It's a new life. It's not just a new heart, but it's what that new heart takes you to do with the rest of your life. Running a marathon before the Lord. How should we live then to honor the one who gave us this new heart, this new life, by laying down his own John 3, 16. We've got that verse memorized. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't just say, here, borrow him for a little bit. Gave him. We murdered him, put him to death. But God intended that to happen because he then could become the donor of life to us through his death into life by the power of an everlasting life. In Hebrews chapter 10, the Hebrew writer understands so clearly this concept of how to honor the one who gave himself for us. Let us hold fast. This is verse 23 of Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Would we not find it insulting if that Catherine girl who had gotten that heart from those people Went to visit them and showed up drunk, showed up on drugs, showed up having just uh, engaged in an eating binge for seven days straight and was hung over from food. Would well, we not think that would be disgraceful and a dishonor to the heart that had been given so she could have a full life that she's living it in that way, trashing the gift? Why do we not see that in spiritual terms? what God has given us so richly that cost His Son His life, that cost God's own heart, delivered to us. And yet, some of us could choose to live in such a way that we disregard what God has done or even throw it up in His face. I'll do my life the way I choose. Thank you very much. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the way Paul says it ought to be. <laughs> it's amazing what the power of this changed life can bring you to become and to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's the one who was seeking to squash out Christianity, has changed completely and says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Think about that for a moment. (laughs) As that girl with the new heart is thinking, I was dead. She died for me. I died to that person I was. I'm going to live for her now. I'm going to live for her. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians. That's what he's saying in Colossians. what he's saying here. We love Christ, and that love compels us. He died for us, but he died for everybody else out there, too, and they don't know it yet. And so, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. In verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new heart, the new life. We've been granted that. Just what we needed, just when we needed it. So we must recognize this gift we've been given in Christ. A transplanted heart, a transplanted life for those who've died with him to their old man of sin. Did you recognize how near death we are in this world? Sin is right around the corner. Sin crouches at the door, Cain was told in Genesis 4 and verse 7. It was waiting for him. We're near to death. We need to get real about the situation of our heart, and I don't mean our physical heart at all. I mean, we need to be asking ourselves regularly, is my heart right with God? Because he has done something so amazing for us in giving us a new heart. The desire of David, he's fulfilled in us, in our time. Through the son of David, who willingly came and gave himself for us. Are we willing to recognize that? And are we going to live in such a way that honors the God who has gone to such great lengths to bring us near? Is your heart right with God? I pray that during this year, you'll ask yourself that question. You'll ask me that question. That you'll allow us together to examine where we are and allow God to diagnose us and to provide the cure. I urge you to join me in seeing God's diagnosis. May we all recognize our dire need and apply the cure of God's word. And may we then live in grateful obedience, pursuing holiness in the fear of God. That's my desire for you this year. I want to help you to do that if I can. If you have not died with Christ already, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, you can't really begin this problem. The issue is there. You're near death. You are dying in sin. But God has diagnosed that, and He's telling you about it all the time in His Word. And He's given you the cure, which is a transplanted heart and life through the life of Jesus Christ. We want to help you to die to that old person of sin. We want to help you to rise to walk in a newness of life and the works that God has provided for you. We want to help you to find the fulfillment of serving God in Christ. If we can help you do that, please don't leave here today without resolving that issue. If you're online and hearing these things, you want to study more about it, we'd love to help you. If as a Christian you've been struggling, if your heart is not right, then we want to pray with you. We want to help you repent of the wickedness of your heart and ask God for forgiveness, just like Peter and John did with Simon the sorcerer who said, pray with me, pray for me that these things may not come to be. If we can help you in that way as well, what a better way to start off the new year than to analyze where we are and to walk in good health with the Lord the rest of this year. If we can help you with that, make your need known. We're going to